Welcome to the Chalk Up Podcast, where we'll explore professional coaches and athletes' mindsets, philosophies, experiences in the world of strength and conditioning. Welcome back, guys, to the Chalk Up Podcast, and today we have a very special guest all the way from America. Mike Clark is a sports psychologist, and he's been studying now for 11 years and he's just about to finish his PhD. He's been working with athletes and the general population for this amount of time as well. Um, We dive into some amazing discussions, questions and his answers are so insightful. So listen up and any feedback will be greatly appreciated. Enjoy guys. Mike, um, let's start off. Uh, A little intro into yourself mate and where you are, what you do, um, what studying you've been doing and what sort of athletes and coaches you work with at the moment. Yeah, for sure. Well, first off, thanks for having me, guys. Just really appreciate just being able to talk about this stuff. Um, yeah, so I'm originally from uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, uh, kind of smack dab in the middle of the country, but maybe a little more northern too. Um, just been an athlete all my life and ran cross country and track at Mississippi State University. Um, picked up a master's in sports psych from the University of Missouri. And I'm just in the final, final stages of the PhD um, in counseling and sports psychology from UW-Milwaukee. I own and operate a private practice, Clark Performance Consulting, uh, where I help athletes to improve uh, their mental game, um, usually in the function of helping, um, you know, things on the field, but also in the classroom and business a little bit as well. Um, Currently, uh, finishing up shop at the University of Oklahoma, uh, where I'm a doctoral intern there. doing all things mental performance and mental health with our coaches, athletes, support staff. So I know that's a lot of mumbo jumbo, but uh, long story short, uh, love working with athletes and helping them get better. Yeah, just on, I've got a question actually already on that, Mike. Um, With the athletes, do you work with the coaches as well to make sure they have a good mindset for the athletes? Yeah, yeah. And so the, the coaches aren't exempt from any of this, you know, and Coaches are real people just like you and I, and um, they can be frustrated from things about the job. They can be frustrated about things not on the job. Um, and so it's not uncommon to have a coach consult about, you know, anything performance or mental health related. Um, you know, I, I think that there can be an interesting dynamic if you're working with the student athletes and you're working with a coach. And so we try to um, sometimes find a different provider for a coach or an athlete so that there's not like that weird conflict of interest but um yeah i mean at the surface level coaches aren't exempt we talk about this stuff all the time yeah because i think that's we've had that one before about how we had josh fletcher on hasn't actually been released yet and he was mentioning when he was in the special forces and coaching the uh, the troops that it was actually really important to coach all the sergeants and all the their coaches i'm not sure what they're all called but you know their coaches so when he left that they, they can still deal with it there's no point going into one place and then leaving and then the coaches don't know how to address the athletes that's pretty bang on or uh, absolutely yeah. i mean yeah i mean at the end of the day you know we're we're all moving around we're, we're doing different things and sport's going to end at some point so let's yeah. be prepared for that next step yeah, yeah definitely um so from actually a few journals that um, and your blogs that we that we've um, all read, which are really wicked. Um, uh, the first question that we're going to get into is um, what. So as an athlete and a coach um, or human, um, how do you find which what makes you tick? How do you find which 
what can get you going in the life and in sport and you know if you're in a competition how can you find that sudden click to get you going yeah yeah for sure uh you know a lot of it i think come down to you know what do you value what 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 are the core values that you hold as a person um you know i think a lot of times we want to talk about motivation and i think a lot of times that hits the headlines when we don't exactly know what's going on and says like ah, this, this athlete lost motivation, you know, or they're clearly unmotivated to perform. Um, and motivation can be a, a part of it. But I think a lot of times when there's a conflict of what someone is expected to do and that conflicts with what they think is right or their belief or their value, um, we have a lot of issues. And so if, if we want to think about like what helps people to, to tick, I guess, in this world, um, if we can align a core value so and a value is just like a chosen quality or something you find important that kind of drives decision-making. We can align that with a goal that you have. I mean, then we're talking about some like pure dynamite, like that's good stuff. Um, but a lot of times, like a lot of times we just set these goals and they don't align with how, who we are as a person. And that's why I think a lot of times they end up falling between the cracks and people don't actually end up um, completing the goals they set because they don't align with their life at all. So I like to start with values, but I mean, I, we can have back and forth conversation on this. Like, I think there's a lot to that one. That's not just like, oh, know what you value and go do it. Cause I think that can be pretty difficult at times. Yeah. And how do you, how do you find your value? Is it, is it trial and error or is it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, so values change over time. I think yeah. that's an important thing to point out. Um, I, I want to point that out before anything so that it's not like, oh shoot, like I finally found it. Now it's not real for me. Yeah. Uh, there are a lot of different ways that, that people do it. I mean, like a, in the mental health world, the, the values card sort is like a, you could just Google it. It's like a, a beautiful thing you can do almost on your own and kind of figure it out. Um, but what I like to do is I like to, I like to use a little metaphor. Okay. Uh, you want to hear it? Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. This, this, this is a freebie. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, no. And so this is actually stemming from a conversation that I've had with, like with an actual student athlete. And then I've, adapted it over time and I just kind of delivered something like this where you know I say hey I was talking to this guy and I said what do you value you know and he says what do you mean what would I value I just say what do you value right what is he gonna say a thing it's gonna be deeper he says well I really value my car I'm like okay tell me about your car like, what do you mean man like, just tell me about your car he's like ah I don't know it's black I'm like okay cool what else he's like um it's fast tell me more he's getting a little upset with me at this point you know i'm like really poking he's like ah it's got a nice interior leather steering wheel i'm like okay and i knew i had about one more like tell me more until he shut down i'm like tell me more and he's like i don't know man when i put my foot on the gas pedal it gets me to where i want to be when i want to be there i'm like okay so i i stepped off the gas in this conversation and we talked about it and when we talked about values like 20, 30 seconds later, I'm like, it, I believe you that you value your car. You think it's important, but what does that car like actually represent in your life? And he's like, I mean, like I said, man, I can, I can get away when I need to get away from everything. And so I think of that independence, autonomy, freedom. And I ask him, I'm like, Hey, do you think you value those? Oh my God. Yeah. So much when I can make the decision on the team or, I'm, you know, this and that. Right. So then we can get to it. So I always ask people like, What's your car? What's your iPhone? And what does that actually mean to you? 
Yeah, because I think that's such a that's such a good way of describing it. Because when you first said, you know, uh, find your value, I was thinking, well, what's my value? You know what I mean? And then like you describe it like that, and you can put two and two together, can't you? You can look at more like a practical situation from me. I don't know about you, Dale. Do you feel the same there? Yeah, I. It's tricky, isn't it? Like finding your value, but like with the questions you were sort of like probing, like you kept asking and asking. Normal people, like if you ask them a question, they'll give you like the skim or like the top layer, and then obviously you like delve deeper. I remember being on a nutrition course, and it was like you know, ask the exact same question to a lady in the front. She's like, "I'm, what do you want to do?" Type thing. She's like, "I really want to learn how to swim," and like you delve deeper, and he delved deeper, and basically the reason why she wanted to swim is so she could save her kids if they ever started to drown in the sea because she couldn't swim herself. So she was doing it for her kids and obviously she valued family. And I was just like, literally skim the surface then just delve deeper. And it was actually such a meaningful thing of why she actually wanted to learn how to swim. It was crazy. But um, yeah, yeah. did what you did basically. Yeah. I love that. And like, you know, full disclosure behind, behind the therapy doors, I might be like, okay, we're at family, let's dive deeper. Like, let's go, you know? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. So, like, sometimes it's connection or it's safety or it's whatever. And, um, but it's also like when we have this conversation, I want to acknowledge, like, if you say you value your family, like, I believe you, like, I'm not trying to say you don't, yeah. right? <laughs> like, but let's, let's just figure out what, you know, what's going to be helpful for you. So, you know, back to your original question of like, what makes people tick? It's like, I think when people can understand like this level of insight about themselves, it makes making decisions and things like that a lot easier. Yeah. And, and that's, a, that's exactly why, um, we you know we're so grateful to have you on because like at the moment in this present time in the uk like it's such a big thing in my eyes that mental health and especially athletes and coaches if you're not seeking psychology and or a psychologist you, you know what i mean i think you're, you're missing such a big part of the whole you know, you've got your nutrition you've got your snc but you know the mind the, the mind if you listen to any pro or elite athlete like they usually say like 80 percent mind mindset and then the rest is the rest is genetics and work. So yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. No, I mean you're preaching on the choir, man. I think what I often ask at, at that case is like, oh, you know, sometimes I do ask people like, well, what what percentage of blank sport you know is is mental? And it's like ten percent, ninety percent, one hundred percent, forty percent. And my follow up question is always the same: of like, okay, are you spending that percentage of your time training the mind? And in, inevitably, the answer is no, right? Like. Yeah. You know, and it's not a, you know, and, you know, it's not that I think anyone's failing at it. I think a lot of times we just don't know how. And like, that's why people aren't, aren't doing it. So it's good to hear people are actually reaching out and being proactive yeah. about it. But yeah. I think it's also quite hard, isn't it, for people to actually know their, to actually start understanding their mind. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's really hard for people to like actually get into, isn't it? To actually really try and deep down and try and get those thoughts. Yeah, it's quite it's quite probing, isn't it? You like yeah. you know, that question just then. You're like, okay, talk to me about family. Well, obviously, if they've had like a a serious upbringing, then do they want to delve deeper? Do they actually want to offload type thing? And this is this we had this conversation before you even started recording this. But mental health, yeah. like, look at the UK alone. I'm pretty sure the stat is either 75 or 78 men alone die a day from suicide mm -hmm. due to mental health purposes, uh, sorry problems, and you know if you don't want to delve deeper and sort of um, face them problems head on, then that's why there's so many dying a day. It's, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. But yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So that, was, that was a great response to that question, Mike. Thanks so much. And um, next up we've got um, 
So lifestyle and work balance is quite a hard one for people to get the balance. Like, you know, how, having your family, doing your sport, doing your work. Um, what methods and practices um, for coaches and athletes uh, are good to try and help this? Like what sort of things can we do to reduce like work hours and increase lifestyle, et cetera, like that? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think, you know, in a, in a perfect world, we align the jobs that we want uh, with with our interests and we align them and I, I promise I'm not a, a broken record but this one's near and dear to my heart because of some some past research but you know it's actually pretty 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 well found that if we align our core values with what the workplace is actually asking for and will accept um, it's called correspondence and uh, a lot of these kinds of work related issues don't uh, don't they're not as severe okay um, and so, in a perfect world, that's what I'd say. Now, uh, I don't know the stat, but I'd imagine that a lot of people don't feel like they're in the job that is perfect, that actualizes their potential or whatever. Um, and so you bring up a great question, you know, and uh, I think at the surface, we want to answer for you and for maybe not for both of you, but for the listener or whoever, is it the work-life balance that we're looking for or is it the work-life blend that we're looking for? And I'm not trying to be semantic here. In some cases, it's a blend, right? Where maybe you and your partner, whoever you live with, um, you're in the phase of life where you know you're grinding and you're working hard to, to get to the next step. So you understand that hey, I'm gonna have to take a work call at eight o'clock. You know, like I think my wife is super open to the idea that um, I'm in this, this world and athletics doesn't work eight to five. So there's a good chance an athletic trainer or SNC coach calls me at 7.30 at night and says, Hey, I'm sitting with someone and they're not doing so well. Do you have a minute? Right. And, and so it's like, are you okay with that? So it's more of a blend. Um, but if you're in a space where you're like, I need to be able to compartmentalize my work from my life. Yeah. Um, that's a whole nother, whole nother answer. And yeah. in that case, I, I think, you know, can you figure out what you need to do by the end of the day before you leave the office or wherever you work and say, you know what, I'm good with today. I'll pick it up tomorrow and almost have kind of a shift of a mindset, always having something to look forward to at home that's not work-related, right? So um, in COVID, it's hard, right? Because we're working from home. Yeah. Um, and so for me, this room right here, my home office is where I do work. This is where I talk about things. Um, I don't come in here to read leisurely. I don't come in here uh, to play with the dog uh, or to have conversations with my wife. I don't know where we'd sit anyway, but um, you know, uh, but this, this is for work. Right. And so when I leave here, I know that I'm not at work. And I think that can be helpful too. Would you, would you say that room or like where you work is like your mental space? It sounds silly. Like that's where you're like, come like, compart. Oh, can't even say what you said, but like basically like separating your two sort of like work section and sort of like your lifestyle. That's that room. Like you said, you wouldn't go in there to play with the dog. Right. So you'd leave that workspace and headspace there and then go into the next room and like uh, change sort of mindset as you like go out the door mm -hmm. yeah at the end of the day for sure um and and this is definitely my i guess yeah my, like my, my mental sanctuary i guess uh i think that the caveat in my world if you're just specifically asking me uh is that sports psych is often done in the trenches and so um you know like i'll go to practice often and you know i, I have to be able to be on at 6 15 in the morning when i'm at rowing practice it's dark and windy and cold and you're in a boat, you know, like, can you, can you do your job then? Yeah. Um, 
you know, can you do your job when you're driving home from there and you get a call from someone, but from a work from home standpoint, when I'm not there, hundred percent agree with what you said, like this, this is the space for that. I don't do work outside of here. And with, yeah. um, and going on the, so for the coaches listening, was the SNC and the fitness industry has a massive burnout. So, yeah. you know, the, the hours are unsociable, their mornings and evenings, you know, with your, your athletes and your clients and also their long hours as well. If you've got to travel away and, and stuff like that, like how, how can some, how can a coach deal with that with making their lifestyle also come into that? Cause it says you really want to work in elite sport, but the elite sport is 60, 60 hours a week, a lot of driving, unsociable hours. Like how do you then make sure that your lifestyle isn't going to get smashed? Cause if your lifestyle gets smashed at home, then it's going to have an effect on your work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, 100%. A million dollar question, man. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'll, I'll give you my best crack at it. But I, yeah, I, think that, I, I think that really is one of those that I don't know that everyone, I don't know that we have the answer to that one. Um, but I think sleep is really important. And um, when you were talking about, especially the fitness industry, like people want to go to a gym to get their, to get their workout in before work, right? And so if you're the one leading that or working there, you need to be there ahead of time. Um, you know, and so... I mean, we know that uh, when we don't sleep, we have some pretty, in, pretty significant impacts on our mood, on the way we see ourselves, our self-esteem, um, all sorts of things, in addition to physically recovering and all those kinds of things. And so if, if you can find a way to either get some good sleep in, which maybe means going to bed early, um, even shooting for that, like, and it's different for everyone. Like, I'm not going to put a number out there and have someone say right on the board, that's for you, but um you know a REM cycle is 90 minutes or a sleep cycle is 90 minutes okay multiply that by four that's six hours can you get six hours of uninterrupted sleep somehow that might be really important um but also especially in elite sport we always talk about um like non-REM related uh rest so like midday suppose you are it's noon you're in the office is there any way that you can be doing work that's less intense to let your mind kind of relax, kind of go on cruise control, knowing that later in the day, you're gonna to have to be on again. Um, finding ways to rest and recover actively uh, can also help. Yeah, that's cool. That's, and with the sleep, um, what, what's the, so obviously you work with a lot of students and obviously I'm guessing they're gaming a lot. Uh, <laughs> is, is that something you get? I know we get it in the UK. Um, For sure. yeah, yeah, like what's the best way? I know it's probably not again a million dollar question, but what's the best way to get into that good state to get good sleep? Mm -hmm. No, that, that's a great question. So uh, you know, I think that there's a lot that we do know about this, and, and we know that uh if well, let's run down the checklist here. So uh there's an ideal temperature for everyone. And so do you and, and I, I wouldn't say worry so much about the thermostat, but do you like it cooler, do you like it warmer? It can be difficult if your husband, wife, partner likes it the opposite, but yeah. we don't need to get into that today. But, uh, you know, do you like it cooler? Do you like it warmer? Okay. Um, do you like more blankets on top of you? Do you only like a top sheet? Okay. From a sensation standpoint, is that going to help? But also only get in bed when it's, it's time for either sleep or sex. It, that's it. Okay. A lot of times we get in bed and we're going to game. We're going to just watch TV. We're going to do whatever. And our body now has subconsciously made our literal bed into like anything else, like the couch, the chair, the anything. But the bed is there for you to be able to sleep. And so if we can have our body literally associate the, the, the feeling of it, the scent of it, 
everything with when you're, when, when you're tired. Uh, that will actually help you initiate sleep a lot better, which is important. Um, other things, um, you know, it's important to be hydrated, but don't chug a bunch of water before you go to bed or else you might get up in the middle of the night. Yeah. Uh, and then of course, other distractions, like, can you make it dark? I mean, those are kind of nice add-ons, I think. Yeah, no, that's, that answers it bang on. Um, and so moving on to the next one, how, how do you, how to excel in a role um, in coaching for, um, with your thoughts and emotions? So how, if you're, if you're a client, if you've got a coach and you've got a, and a client who's, you know, frustrating you and you can't see their world as much as you want to, how do you, what's the best ways for a coach to then get his thoughts back and get his emotions back and not making it like have it, have a go at the athlete or the client? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I like this angle because I think a lot of times we talk about it at the athlete level, like what can you as an athlete do to, to regulate your thoughts and emotions? Yeah. Um, but it's a, I love this question because we don't always talk about coaches and uh, coaches are the ones who are ultimately influencing a lot with the team. Um, but the good news is the, the interventions don't always change. And so uh, again, I'm kind of a metaphor guy. Uh, so I, I like this one. Um, and you know, let me, let me just say, Del, you want to go, you want to go along with me on this one? Go, 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 go. Okay, cool. So the, the, I'm not, I'm not psychoanalyzing you or anything here. It's just, he is fun. right now, mate. He's looking into your brain. <laughs> <and his laughs> mind. Here we go. I'm going to write everything down. <laughs> all right. All right. So no, in, no, not a trick question. Okay. Imagine that there's like a TV screen in front of you or something and yeah. it's playing something super distressing and you just, just don't want to watch it. Okay. What are your options? Probably like um, over here we have like a hospital like twenty four hours. It's just like somebody I don't know cutting somebody open like surgical, just something I just don't really want to watch like just before I go to bed. So yeah, something like surgical. Okay, okay. So that's what's playing. So if you don't want to watch that, what can you do? I'm not trying to give you answers yet, but like if you don't want to watch it, what could you do? Get up, get out the room, or turn it off. Good. Okay, turn it off. You could leave. Anything else come to mind? <sighs> I could throw it out the window, but that's probably the worst decision going. But, yeah. <laughs> I like it. All right, I'll, I'll let you off the hook. So um, those are like the, the, the top two answers, honestly, ever. Turn it off or leave, okay? And in, in this example, 100%, I think that's what I would do too. I'd probably do both, turn it off and I leave the room. But this is a metaphor for our thoughts, right? So we can't just turn off our thoughts. We can't just walk away, which obviously I'm baiting you now, but I, I won't. You know, I won't expect you to any more of this, but, but, the, but then I, so then I oftentimes intro that to someone and say, okay, so now that we're thinking about our thoughts, what comes to mind? Um, you know, and I think one of my favorite answers is when someone says, I'm going to get up and unplug the TV. Okay. And I'm like, nice. Okay. And how we relate to that, to our thoughts is saying, Hey, how can we take some power away from the thoughts that you have? Okay. Yeah, the thought that you have may be totally true, may be completely factual. You as a coach may see someone on the pitch and being like, man, their effort is low today, right? Behaviorally, they're slumped down. They're, they're not fighting over the ball. They're, you know, whatever. Okay. And the, co- the athlete may even acknowledge it, but the coach is thinking, oh gosh, if I get onto him right now, this isn't going to be a good look. I already know this and that about him. I want to temper that. So can we say, take a little power away from that thought, right? Can we just say, okay, it's true, but you know what? I'm just going to let that be for now. And I'm going to try to think about something that's going to be helpful. Okay. So it's not putting out of the closet and forgetting about it, but it's accepting it. The fact that that thought is there, but that thought's maybe not going to help you in this moment. 
Um, and so I always ask people like to literally run down the metaphor of when, what's important now, like literally in this moment, like for me in this pot, like I know I have a meeting later after this, I've got to talk to someone about, they're going to be 100% of my attention at that time. But right now, I'm not going to be thinking about them because I'm talking to you guys. Yeah, right? yeah. And so I, I encourage the same thing for coaches. Okay. Yeah. And that's, that's a massive thing as well. Like actually being present, isn't it? Yeah. Like being present, like how many people do you see and coaches you don't see coach and they're not present? Like they're, 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 you know, they're coaching an athlete in the gym or they're, and they're not there. They're not giving their full attention. And obviously yeah. that's going to give the athlete or client uh, the wrong emotions, isn't it? It's going to make them feel like they don't care which probably yeah. is definitely going to have negative effects on the performance some, right? Yeah, for sure. And I'm curious, what, why do you think that is? Because I mean, we see that all the time. I mean, I, I don't have all the answers. <laughs> well, it maybe it's the go back to the value point. Mm. I don't know. I, I'm, I, like maybe it would go back to the value point that, you know, they don't actually, you know, they don't value it. They don't want to be there. They, they'd rather be doing something else. Sure. Like, we see it a lot, don't we, Dale? Uh, you know, a lot in a lot of gyms and a lot of coaches, I see it. I'm, I that's why so I have online programming on an app but that's all for my online clients but in the gym I have a whiteboard because the worst thing you can do I feel is get the phone out and start going on the app but I, I don't know that's just me but nice yeah yeah, yeah. yeah I suppose you like with the phone it's very personal like they can't see what you're looking at type of thing or like looking at or but with the whiteboard or like that sort of like analogy you're both together in you know you're at the end of the day you're supporting the athlete right so you're sort of together going along that um, sort of aspect of training but I just wrote down that what's important now because personally to me that sort of like as alarm bells went off in my head because all the time I'm thinking about the next things I need to do along the day or I need to so whatever I'm doing now I'm thinking okay but I need to do this later on I've got to go there I've got to travel there it's going to take me four hours traffic like all that stuff so yeah mm. what's important now I literally just wrote that down that stuck straight in my head like um, just be present and worry about the things worry about now rather than what's going to happen in the future because it could change you know? and that, yeah and that's definitely going to help your, your athletes and your clients isn't it if you're present every hour for each athlete and client they're going to get the best rather than worrying about the next client or the next athlete or you've got to be over rowing or anything like that if you're present in that moment it's definitely mm -hmm. going to be a winner isn't it yeah. and that, that that leads me on to um is what's the most common mistake you see with coaches um with their athletes like through in training and competitions yeah it, it kind of goes back to that what we just yeah it does about. yeah okay yeah in in a, it's a great segue because i think the most common mistake is trying to control everything you know and i think especially as a, a coach or a manager or like principal or someone like who's maybe still pretty close to boots on the ground level but like managing a lot um the the tendency is to think if i can control everything if I can get everything down to kind of almost like a, a gauge, can we move in the right direction or not the right direction? That everything will, will, will just work out perfectly. And I think it sounds good on paper, but at the same time, we're all humans and we all just can, can change our minds at different times and have strange things that pop up that influence what we do. So I think the most common mistake is trying to over control and over correct uh, when really, I think a lot of times we could be trending in the right direction, kind of like a classic stock market kind of look. Um, yeah. But it's like, oh, there's a dip, abort mission, everything's horrible. When really, it's like you're just waiting for the bounce up because we're trending in the positive direction. Yeah. 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 And what sort of methods can the coach use to interact with the athletes and clients? Well, like I would, through that. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think that they should, they should be authentic. I mean, I think that's the, the big thing. Um, I think that's something I've learned along the way is that, you know, especially early on in your training, you like think you have all the answers or you think you should have all the answers or whatever. And so you say something and then someone's BS meter just goes off and they're like, no way. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and it's funny because a lot of people think that like college age students are, are the people who call you out the most, but I think it's younger. I think it's like youth sport, high school. Kids never lie. Kids never lie. That's it, man. Kids don't lie at all. And so for me, you know, I learn and I'm, I'll just be vulnerable and saying like, Hey, if I don't know it, I'll either tell them I don't know it or I'll say, Hey, let me get back to you. Right. And you don't want to give a, I'll get back to you 18 times in a talk. Uh, You want to know what you're talking about. But um, I think that that's probably one of the best things that coaches can do is just, just to be authentic, be themselves. But I mean, also, and at the risk of sounding like I'm holding too many hands here, um, you know, I think also see their athletes as, as people. I think that's an important thing, knowing that you're gonna yeah. they're gonna leave, they're gonna go somewhere, and maybe what you said is gonna go with them. So um, know that if what's going with them is a good thing, that's maybe something you should do. And if it's not, maybe think about it. And, and that links to you know, we had Josh Fletcher on, which is getting released after yours, Mike. But he he also he was the SAS guys. And he's, and I was like, how do you, how do you coach those sort of people? You know, they're, they're machines, they're, you know, you know, mad men. And he goes, no, you treat them as humans. They're people. Mm -hmm. They've still had a bad day at home. They've still had all of this. And and that's so important, isn't it? That everyone is human um, and you've got to treat them. You know, I think that that's the thing that surprises me continually. Like um, I'll work with people who are part of like our U S teams and any given uh, like sport, you know, and they may still be at the university, but they've already made an Olympic team or they're an alternate or whatever. And the person presents to your session uh, wearing a hoodie, you know, flip-flops, you know, they, they look like anyone else on the street. Uh, and Zoom has kind of like opened up that world a little bit only because you may be able to see like all of their like trophies or their NCAA medals in the background or something coincidentally. Um, <laughs> but like literally, like, I don't think they even know it. Um, you know, but, but you just realize that like, this is just a person who's coming to you because they think that you can help them. So do your best in doing that. Yeah. yeah. No, 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 definitely. Um, yeah, that, that's what's awesome. And, um, so if we go back to the youths and, you know, they don't lie and everything like that, um, mm. what a positive and hardworking mindset from a child, um, does this have like an important role for, uh, when you go into an adult, does this like, you know, you see, you know, stories about even go to a rappers, you know, like guys who are in the Bronx and stuff like that, hard work, and then they make it. And you see that with some athletes, the most resilient, resilient ones and the most ones who are successful usually come from harder upbringings. Mm. So is, is that, is that on the right lines? And is it important that when you're, when you're a youth and as you're, if you're a parent listening, that it's in, important for people to fail and kids to fail? absolutely and so i think there's two big parts of what you just brought up that i want to speak on for sure yeah it's quite it's quite a personal subject this one i'm very very interested in it yeah Um, yeah no for sure so i'll i'll take the maybe not the more surface answer but the second part it's it's 100 important for for kids to fail um especially on their own um you know to to try and to want something and to work really hard and to come up short, like that's, that will pay bigger dividends down the road than any amount of 
tuition to get the kid into the best place to make it that look on paper, right? Because um, using a practical example, someone could, could go through the perfect route academically. Um, and they, um, their resume speaks, speaks to it, they get a job interview, um, and either they, they can't answer the real life practical questions in the interview because they have no life experience, or they get the job and it's worse off because now things start to happen, things start to fall apart, and they don't have the resilience or the grit to be able to work through it. And so starting at a young age, if a, if a kid is able to make a mistake, but also be met with some warmth and to say like, hey, still love you, things are gonna be okay. And <laughs> yeah, it didn't work out. Um, like that's actually a really impactful way to, to start to build some healthy uh, resilience. Um, now, there's a whole nother part of this, right? Of what about the tougher upbringing? What about when there was failure or there wasn't food on the table or whatever it may be, and there wasn't that warmth, there wasn't that love that was just like, hey, I see you, you're there, I hear you. Um, you know, and, and the cool thing is that sport oftentimes is kind of a safe haven for folks who are having it rough away from home. Um, you know, I worked with countless high school kids who I'm leaving at the end of the day, um, like, you know, session was good. It was late. It's like 6.30, 7 or something in the afternoon or at night, you know, and kids are hanging around. And um, I just learned firsthand. I'm like, I'm like, hey, got somewhere to be? Like, got a ride? You okay? And like, they're like, oh, yeah, like, I'm good. I, I just don't want to go home yet. You know, and talking to, and talking to them, they're like, standing here or watching practice or being part of practice is 10 times better than being at home, you know? And so as coaches, if we can create a space for everyone to, to be there, yeah, I mean, their performance later on may improve because they've had to work hard all their lives. Uh, but I think it's less about the performance outcome and more of like, can a person finally feel like they're met with some, some support, you know, that they're seen in, in some way. But I think we're scratching the surface. So I want to hear your thoughts on that and kind of maybe riff with you a little bit. Yeah, well, so from a coaching point of view, I've, I've been in youth sport um, for most of it, and so is Dell. And, you know, you get the kid who cries a lot when he misses a shot. You get the kid who, you know, doesn't speak to you at all if he fails at something. Mm. Like, I'm really intrigued. What methods can you go about to help him? Do you, is it literally just a pat on the back and show you're there and let him deal with it? Or is there another ways? Is it because, like you said, you've got to let them fail. So say if they're, they keep failing at something and you keep reassuring and reassuring and or making it easier. That's not going to help in the long run, is it? But it's going to help that session. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah. So, so what, what I like something that some programs I've been a part of, especially in the, at the youth level um, that have definitely found success. I mean, uh, from the outside, you'd be like, the, you know, those kids are machines or they're great. Or, you know, you have a bunch of people signing division one letters, you know, to go on and play from the outside, they look really effective, but, a lot of those kids are talking about exactly what, what you're saying. And they come into session and it's like, man, what, what's going to happen to this? And, you know, I failed and I don't know what to do. And in those programs, what I've really liked is just a set thing at the end of the practice. Um, this, a lot of this is pre COVID, um, but it would be like high five and every kid before they get off the, the wrestling mat or before they leave the room. Um, and the coach looking at them in their eyes, giving a high five, right? It's not like a, oh, I'm taking a phone call. Nice job, guys. It's like, I see you. 
and they have that physical touch and they get out you know i really like that one um, and that's so that's so good for the americans as well because that's very american isn't it Dell? it's like, almost compared- like it, it's it's weird it's like if you did that over here it would be not frowned upon but you'd no. be like what the what hell are you doing like, yeah 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 not a uk type of thing but i don't like um where we like where I used to like coach up in Newmarket, obviously there's like a US Air Force base and they're very similar to that. So I know what they're like. And so does Jim, but like UK wise, like high five and like being like, I see you and like high five. That's not like a UK thing. Oh man, that's awesome and fascinating. So let me hear from you then. Like, what do you think is effective in, in that culture? Uh, no, I agree. I quite like it, but as in like, I see you high five type thing. I think that's a good thing. Um, but if you did that in like the UK to a lot of like schools and stuff, they'd be like, "Whoa, what the hell are you doing?" It's 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 quite a weird. It's just different cultures. That's all it yeah. is. Right? Uh, it's like you. It sounds stupid, but like you watch like NFL and they do that, and I think it's a good thing. Like at the end of the thing, like you're huddling, huddling like together like as one unit. Like you play as a unit, right? So why wouldn't you do that? I think in eye contact, like you were saying, that's a good thing. It's a big thing. But like over here, it's just no. Nah, you just don't do that. It's it's weird. It's like a UK. Cool. Well, I'm glad you're saying that because I wouldn't want like a UK listener to hear that and be like, what the, like, this guy's way off, right? And so I like that though. That's, I'm learning, you know, that's cool. Yeah, no, I think the the same time is though. I don't don't think if you brought it over here, I don't think like it it wouldn't be a big thing. It'd just be like, everyone would be like, whoa, what's this type of thing? Yeah, it's it's quite big in the CrossFit gyms now though. Like all the CrossFit gyms love it. Um, Yeah. Let me ask you this. What would it change if it was a handshake? Because I've had a program who said you need to shake four of your teammates' hands before you leave? Will that change anything, or is that the same? No, no, no. It sounds stupid, right? It, like, what's different <sighs> than high five looking them in the eye, or like a handshake? But handshake or like a fist bump is pretty. It's probably like borderline UK, all right, type thing. But, <laughs> you know, they love like watching the NFL stuff. They love like just like whooping, just like uh, smacking hands, like high fives and like fist bumping, or jumping up on like chest bumps. That's like a, a US type thing. But with the with the with the NFL, I'm sorry, off topic. But you know, with the NFL guys, surely there's some players in there who are getting over aroused. Yeah, for yeah, sure. there's got to be, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, There's so the energy when they come out is madness, isn't it? Oh, it is. You know, and that's a common discussion actually of like uh, like locker room talks either before the game or after. I mean, before you know, the, when the fireworks are literally going off on the field and dudes like just had their sniffing salts and they're like, just like at like nine and a half out of 10, it's like, I hope you don't give the guy that ball. Cause he might not even feel the ball if it's in his hands. Like, <laughs> like let's, let's not do that. Um, and so you actually see a lot of the programs who, you know, have those like locker room talks mid, mid, you know, mid game. And it's really evaluative, you know, and it's like, Hey, so-and-so like, or, or this position group, like, this is what we're doing well. This is what we need to improve. This is what you're doing well. This is what we need to improve. Not like, a, like, we're the best. They suck. Like, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, what, that's going to be good for, like, one play, maybe. But probably not. So, yeah. You, no, I, you I, still I, must have the guys there who, like, you know, when we've involved with the rugby teams and everything like that, you, you have the quiet guys. They have the guys sitting yeah. in the corner, you know, oh, in yeah. their own force. But then you also do have the guys who need to get their geared up. But in NFL, I swear they're all just – get it up well yeah and and the guy in the corner with his hood up and and his music blaring like he can be more dangerous than anyone so Uh, (laughs) uh, yeah no i i hear it and you know i think that 
like to answer your question, like what what can you do, especially with, with the kids in the upper, like, you know, coming up, I think it's like helping them to understand what's going to be good for them. Like you said, sometimes there's quieter kids, maybe they normalize that. Like, hey, if you're just a little bit, you know, on the quieter end, or maybe from an arousal standpoint, you're at a four out of 10, three out of 10, and that's where you play great. Like help them know that and help them know that that's okay because the team literally takes all of them. If, if we had 18 of me, we'd be good at one thing and we'd be horrible at a lot of things, you know? And it's like, we need that diversity within the team anyway. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so you're saying, so back to, I know you, you touched on a little bit. So say if you did have a kid crying and crying and then, you know, you let him have a little failure, but you're saying whatever happens when they walk out, that you make sure that you reassure you're there for them. Is, I, is I, that, yeah. Yeah. I, I would say that. And however that means culturally for you. Yeah. Right. And like, and, and I, and I really do mean that because even in, in the, the examples I used were even sports specific examples in America, whereas like, you know, it, every sport has its own subculture, right. Within the country, within the region of the country, whatever. And so if the coach can, if the coach knows that the athlete knows that they're being seen, whatever that takes in a safe way, like that's what you should be doing. Yeah. Um, and failure. So we were talking about failure. So fear of failure um, is a massive one. And to me, personally, I feel that it separates the some elite to non elite. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you can see, I don't know if you know much CrossFit, um, but you know, Matt Fraser, oh, yeah. suddenly he can, every bar he touches, he's not missing. Like, and right. he, he would say that, like, it, does he still have that failure in his mind? Does he, st- or is it just is it just smaller than like, for example, mine, which I'm like, oh god, that bar. As soon as I touch it, everything's gonna go wrong. Whereas he's like, nah, I'm not. That that bar's going up regardless. Is, is that what separates us, or is he lying? Uh, I mean, I don't know. Matt Frazier is, is a is a com- is a complete package of of athlete from what I understand. I don't know yeah. him yet. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's tough to say, but uh, I would say that fear is at the heart of like 70 or 80% of the work that I do. Okay. Um, And the reason for that is because fear is very, very closely tied with things like stress and anxiety. Okay. And so anxiety, and and I'll get to your your question here, but anxiety is the, the fear of something happening in the future. Okay. So it's when we're not present and we're thinking, what if, what if, what if, what if, or, you know, other forms of that okay we're anxious stress hey we're worried about something that happened in the past and what are the ramifications of that going to be again the mind is in the past not the future or not the present but both of those there's a fear somewhere in there and so as you kind of poke and probe a little bit we explore what is the fear you're asking about fear fear of failure in this case but there's fear of other people's opinions there's fear of bodily harm i mean those are like three of the biggest ones um, fear of missing out. Right. And so if we can really deconstruct, like, what is it at the core of, of, of the problem? What fear actually is it? There are a lot of really, um, I don't want to say simple, but a lot of kind of clear ways we can address it, which we can talk about in a minute, but, um, it's interesting because people come and like, I was literally getting off a session with an athlete just before this call, you know, and we were talking about an upcoming, um, I won't say the sport, an upcoming event. And, you know, they were concerned about teammates, they're concerned about all sorts of things, you know, and at the surface, if, if you and I were just to listen to the recording of that discussion, it'd be like, 
like, oh, they're just worried about, you know, performing poorly. But the fear is, you know, fear of image you know, and likeness at this point, you know, it's the fear of letting themselves down and what that would mean for their family. And so it's like, it has very little actually to do with the event that they're going to be partaking in and more to do about the what ifs. Ah, okay. That's really interesting. Yeah. I suppose, yeah, from a personal point of view, when I was playing rugby, it was this like from my down and my personal point of view that, um, you know, when you're on that pitch and, you know, all you think about is what can go wrong. And like, like you said, letting your family down, letting your teammates down, everything like that. And I'm, I'm guessing the guys who are the elite elite, they can they sort of get rid of it a little bit or do you still see it in elite sport? Do you still see the top of the top still have it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so the person with no fear is the person who's going to make the mistake, okay? And so it's kind of like, it's kind of like a teeter-totter in a way. Um, never once would I ever want any athlete or performer I work with not to have fear. Okay. Fear is natural. It's like one of the few inborn responses that we truly have as people. And it indicates something's up, right? We don't know exactly what we can go way back and talk about evolution and how fight and flight is still, you know, around in our body. And oftentimes I do take that route. Uh, you know, the difference is we have old hardware and we have a you know, new game and it just can't keep up. That's why we have fight flight so much, but um, yeah, no, like it, 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 at the core of it, there's something that doesn't feel right. So if you can dig into that and understand why it's there and manage it, let it be there, but manage it, uh, you're going to perform well. But if you're fearless, you're probably going to make a mistake and you can end up really hurt. And what, what can the, what can the coach do for the athlete and client to help help them with that if you know what the signs and stuff like that the fear of failure like what can they do in the change room what can they do on the pitch to help that guy out well i think it could start with creating a culture that doesn't um, reward fearlessness okay and uh what i mean by that is a lot of times we have like um especially in, in men's sports like this hyper masculine kind of piece of like you know get out there no fear you know rip his head off whatever and it's like you know, if, if that's what we're promoting, then we're not even creating a space for an athlete to indicate like, hey, I have a little fear here, right? And I don't know that it's the coach's role to, to, to rip apart that fear structure with the athlete. I think it really is a sports psych's job to be able to do that. And that's, again, a lot of what I do. But I think if you're asking what can a coach do, create a culture where, hey, very, very demanding. We want a lot. Let's not be demeaning and let's, and let's make it okay to say, Hey, I, I got a question about this. What's going on. Right. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Mate. That's awesome. And um, going on to, so going on to injuries now, this is quite, I've got a few questions from Instagram. Um, and so someone obviously has said, what are the methods to prevent the fourth, um, the confidence back after an injury to so say, pull it like, great hamstring tear when you're going back to running like how how do they get over that that injury how do they get their confidence back obviously they're physically they're okay but mentally they're they're still holding holding that leg mm -hmm. yeah for sure and this is a question that comes up a lot when we're talking return to play um so what i what i, I first like to explore with with a with an athlete like what is confidence and do we need it i think a lot of times at the core, we say like, I need to be confident. Confidence is what wins games, yada, yada, yada. Um, but I kind of see confidence as like the tip of the iceberg or 
kind of the sprinkles on top of the cupcake, right? And like to, to use a lighter example, like is a cupcake still good without sprinkles? I, I mean, I think so. You may have a different opinion, um, but it's like if the sprinkles are there, it's a good thing. But if it's not there, it doesn't mean that we can't still perform. And so I think uh, what's at the heart of that question, I would guess, without talking to the person, knowing the background, anything, is like, how can I feel safe to return to play and know that when coach gives me the green light, I can give 100% effort and know that my hamstring's not going to pop again. And so um, it comes down to fear. Again, we were just talking about yeah, it. That's, that's the fear, right? Yeah, no, it's, and I'm, I'm glad you segued right after that because there's a fear, a fear of re-injury. And maybe there's a deeper fear of, not going to be able to be seen by the scout or whatever. So you deconstruct some of that fear. Um, some is rational, some is maybe irrational, um, you know, but then also you help them to build their competence in the skill. And this is the nice middle of the Venn diagram between me and the position coach or the technical coach or SNC or whoever of like, Hey, the, the person needs to be able to get back on the pitch and be like, I've been here before. I'm not traumatized from this. I'm nervous. I don't want to get re-injured, but I want to make the right call. So I, I hope I answered the question. I don't know if I did, but uh, I would say, think about what you're fearful of and think about where your physical progression is before you step back on. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought it could be a good one to get linked in because obviously, you know, it's a fear of getting a re-injury, which is a massive thing. And obviously getting injured isn't, isn't a psycho psych issue, but, if for example you know if you play rugby and you've got not that 100% confidence with that shoulder you're sort of like 60% of the shot like you're probably more likely to get injured when you because you're not braced and you're not fully committed to that tackle and that's quite um, it's, it's important isn't it that you have that confidence you were talking about the whole team right right and, and commitment commitment's actually one of my my favorite words and one of my favorite things to dig into it comes back to values it comes back to being able to manage your thoughts but can you commit to that decision 100%? Uh, because in some sports like gymnastics or um, I work with some dancers, like literally in ballet where they're doing these aerial stunts and it's like, you don't know that it like the, the margin for um, a 9.9 .9 out of 10 or higher 9.95 out of 10 and breaking your neck is like a quarter of a second difference, you know? And it's like, there needs to be full commitment and like, if I asked that athlete beforehand, like, were you super confident? They'd be like, wasn't really thinking about it. I just trusted it and I did it. And it's like, boom. So how, how does an athlete like, manage their emotions uh, for that? Then they ignore like, everything around them. So they have that full confidence and not thinking about anything else, injury, family and everything like that. What, what's, what's a tactic that you can go? Because I don't know, I don't know, again, if you see, if, for example, like you see Usain Bolt for his 100 meter run, he's like, all confident you know all of that and then suddenly he just goes boom and you can see his eyes light up in front of him like mm -hmm. how, how do you do that how do you what's a what's a is that an elite athlete again is that just that's how you get to the top or is it, you can train it or you can train it and I, i'm yeah. smiling i'm smiling because this is one of my favorite things to train yeah and it's composure it's commitment it's the zone it's it's all of those things right in there and to get to this point, a lot has to be going right away from the, yeah. the, the right? Uh, I'm not saying you have to be perfect or you can't, you know, like your girlfriend could break up with you and you can still get in the zone. Like 
it's not like that contingent, but it's easier to do that when other things are going well. And so, yeah, you can absolutely train this. I think I like to get away from the notion of like, you know, elite athletes or professional athletes or whoever are um, some sub subsect of society. Um, I think that there are people who can do things exceptional, a certain thing exceptionally. Yeah. Um, I mean, behind the curtain, sometimes some of those athletes have struggle, struggle with pretty typical things like cooking dinner or whatever. Uh, but that's beside the point. But if we're talking about getting in the zone, uh, yeah, absolutely. And so it's kind of like the notion of um, can you shift your attention? And so it's really a skill of focus. Can you shift your attention to right where it needs to be and keep your attention right then and there? Okay. It is a present moment thing, but it's a little different. Um, and so uh, when, when, when Bolt is dancing around, he's being his, his big, you know, whatever self and everyone loves it, sells shoes, Puma's huge, you know, like Puma's big back in America during that time and they weren't for a long time. Okay. Um, I should watch what I say in case, whatever. But, whatever. <laughs> but like literally Bolt, Bolt was so emphatic and fun to watch, right? Um, in fact, you, you tell a little kid like Bolt and, then he, and he does the arm thing, whatever, okay? But when he's able to get in the blocks, now I haven't talked to him, but I'm guessing when he gets in the blocks, he has a very, very high ability to know exactly what he needs to think about and tune into, whether that's his feet, other, some other aspect of it that's gonna help him perform well technically. Um, and he can do that and he can just let the rest be there. I kind of like to use the analogy of like, let everything come, let it sit at the dinner table, let your worry, your stress, your concerns, let it sit at the dinner table, give it a plate of dinner. Just don't give it the time of day beyond that, right? Focus on, focus on your own meal, focus on what you have to do. It's pretty wicked how, how they can do that as well, isn't it? It's fun, uh, isn't it? it? It's pretty amazing how, you know, and again, going back to CrossFit, there's a video of Sarah's six-month daughter. Like she was waving to the crowd and then suddenly her eyes just went boom. And you're like, oh, man, that's like a scary thing to come across, isn't it? I always, I always sort of use the analogy of flicking a switch. So like, or like I always, in my head, it sounds stupid, but I always think about a switch and like it was almost like just flick the switch. And then from flicking that switch, it's a completely different mindset. You're completely focused and you go in and add it with like a hundred percent, whatever you're doing. But like, it's just a, that analogy of just flicking the switch, like flick the mindset. Um, and I imagine that's what they're doing. I imagine yeah, that's what it's, it's like Mike says, it's commitment. It's commitment to exactly that. And then, right. and it all goes back to what you were saying about value. And it all goes back to having a hundred percent be present in that time, isn't it? Right. Well, you know, I, and you know, to, to your point, James, like we're putting a lot of things together and, and Del, to your point, like the, the, it's a kind of like the idea of when you flip that switch, you know, that on the other side of it, it all of the things that you've trained, you've a train, you've trained your attention to be where it needs to be. You've trained your, your mind to be able to be still and present. You've trained the trust and commitment that you have so that when you flip that switch, you're like, I'm in, I know that nothing else matters for the next 9.4 seconds. And after that, then we can get to it. Yeah. And um, so going on to in more endurance side, obviously like a hundred meter sprinter is a little bit different to running a marathon, eh? especially, well, I don't know if you could show me because it's ridiculous how fast he runs it, but you know, two hours, you can't be in that flick switch for two hours. Can you like, how, how do they have that mental toughness and how can they dig deep when they need to dig deep? 
Well, it's a different, it's a different level of endurance. It's mental endurance. And so just like uh, we can use the Bolton Kipchoge examples here of like um, Bolt's intensity of physical output, like from a mere Watts standpoint, um, and I haven't looked at the data on this, but I'd be willing to bet a lot. His Watts are gonna be higher than Kipchoge, right? At least the, his sustained effort for hundred meters. Now Kipchoge is able to still put out a high level of output physically, but for two hours, okay? Think about the mind being a very similar way. You know, the, for, in, in that 100 meter sprint, it is just absolute dial. I mean, the dial, dial the focus up to 11, right? Versus in, in the marathon, the focus is still really high, but the intensity might be um, a little bit more moderate. And in endurance running, it's not just focus. There's a lot of other things that can influence mood even over two hours. You're, the way that you feel is going to impact your performance in a, in a really big way because, you know, how long the event is. Even think about endurance sports when you've got people running 100 miles, right? It might take them 18 hours to 30 hours, depending on the course. And so for then it, the, the, the rules kind of change a little bit. Uh, and for me, it's a, you know, how much can you, how good are you at shifting your attention back to the moment, knowing that over two hours, your mind, your mind is going to shift off of yeah. important more often than it would in, in 10 seconds. I mean, it's just, I guess, math or logic. I don't know. <laughs> so the skill is, can you shift it back is more than the intensity. Yeah. And, and that's pretty weak and if you go down to the so a different bit of a different sport so if you go down to the golf you know their composure on their skill level for that period of time um what methods do would you use to control their nerves and and everything like that like when they're taking uh, tiger woods is taking apart but how, how does he control all those nerves and all that you know because it's completely silent as well which is even more remarkable that he can, it's just him, that center of attention. Mm -hmm. yeah. This is for all the golfers and the golf coaches and never miss a putt again. Sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and of course it, it changes a little bit if you're on the tee box or if you're on the green or whatever, or in the rough on the edge of a water hazard, <laughs> hopefully not, uh, right? But, uh, but, in, but in either case, there's a lot of downtime in golf, okay? Um, the amount of time that, you know, a higher level golfer standing over the ball and even maybe addressing the ball is, is pretty minuscule compared to the amount of time that they're out there for 18 or for four days of a tournament, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think it really, with golf specifically, the, the work that I do with a lot of golfers is um, being able to dig into pre-shot routine, post-shot routine, um, and really what could otherwise in the sports like world be called failure recovery. Um, not, not saying that like you, you know, you could now think about it. Like what, what, what is success in golf? Okay. You're on the tee box. Success can't be a hole in one every time. Okay. Like it's 525 yards, dog leg left. Like you're not, that, that, that's, that's not success in, in that world. So that in a lot of golfers minds, it opens up this idea of, well, I don't know what my, like my key performance indicator is, I don't know what outcome I'm looking for. So now when the ball doesn't land by, you know, by my, by my partners, now I didn't perform well, or what does that happen? You know, so I like for the golfers that I work with to have very clear 
you know, expectations, I think, for, for the wedges that they, they play and the woods and the driver and their putter and kind of know what they're looking for so that they can know, hey, like, like perfect example, you could read the conditions really, really well. Um, think you have it, get over the ball, address it just the way you want to address it. The ball does otherwise what you think it should, but the wind shifted two seconds before you, uh, during your backswing, so not even two seconds, right? Is that a failure or is that not, right? Like, can you recover from that? So we're, we're, I think right now what I'm talking about is less focus, but overall like management of thoughts and emotions over two or three hours time. So is that, is that come down to a lot of visualization? Do you use a lot of visualization with athletes? And you must be on it because absolutely, especially with golf. And there are a few things with visualization that's important. One, through your own eyes, okay? So it's first-person perspective. It's not the highlight reel. It's not ESPN coming in from somewhere. It's through your own eyes. Right? It's in real time. So it's just as fast as the ball would be moving. It's not slow-mo. It's not sped up, right? Um, you know, and it's vivid. It's clear. Uh, golfers I've been working with for a couple of years now, I say, hey, describe number, you know, describe six on the certain course that we both know. And it's funny because they oftentimes describe like the amount of leaves that are on the ground in the fall, what color the leaves are and how speckled the, the leaf is and it's orange and it's red and it's green, the whole thing. And it's like all the way down to it. And I say, great, now let's, let's let that be. Let's talk about you over the ball. You know, what's your nine iron gonna look like when, when you're X amount of yards out? And so vivid, vivid, vivid. Um, and then the one till, till I'm blue in the face, let's have an optimal outcome of your visualization. Um, now this, again, doesn't always mean the ball going in. What's an optimal outcome? Uh, it, it might be you have a 50 foot putt because it's a massive green. Can you get it within three feet? So it's a, you know, tap it in. Um, and are you seeing it? Are you seeing the ball break on the green? Are you seeing it move the way it's going to naturally? Um, and so, yeah, visualization. I know I just like, you didn't ask a question, but like when I hear it, my brain lights up because like, that's a huge yeah. part of this work. But, but yeah, it's massive in all sports and all coaching as well, yeah. isn't it? Visualization, yeah. like even with business men and women, you know, visualizing their business and where they're going with that. And also like weightlifting, like again, go down to, you know, the technical aspect of that, like missing the lift is huge. So like visualization, then popping that lift up and standing up, like it's massive. And is that just, you just keep going, you know, you get your mindset and you just keep visualizing is that it's the same as you go into a football game? You visualize, you know, someone's coming or a soccer game for you guys. Someone's passing and you turn off him and go down the wing. And is mm -hmm. that's all the sort of yeah, just reps, reps. And yeah, and when we're talking about it from a childhood into adulthood, I like to say like, hey, you know, it's kind of like daydreaming. Only we have a little bit more, we have a few more parameters, right? Like, let's try to have it be optimal. Like you're in control of the daydream. It's not that your mind is just going somewhere randomly so yeah man it's just it's about getting it in over and over and over um sometimes with the help of someone like me or, or a different coach sometimes on their own just take a breath close their eyes put yourself back in the situation but that's even a useful tool for a strength and conditioning coach to use as well oh, yeah. like for their athlete as well you know you know saying you know before he steps up to before he steps up to do the clean or snatch i'm not talking limber lifting but you know telling like what for example, you mean like, you know, push your, push the floor away with your feet, like, and then he'll imagine pushing his floor away with the feet as he's standing up with a squat. Is, is that, will that sort of work? 
is that you the know, visualization we're on about or it, it, look, for sure i mean i think as, as long as the coach knows kind of the parameters of the visualization and, and what they're hoping to to have the athlete achieve i wouldn't see an issue with it yeah um you know i i think it just comes down to you know making sure that athlete is is still doing something that's reasonably within their realm right like let's not have them visualize a thousand pound clean and no, 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 no. Yeah, under yeah, there yeah. and injure themselves so but yeah. i know that's not what you're saying yeah yeah. So. yeah um and so we've got quite a few questions from the instagrammers um uh so we've got so comp day motivation um also motivation to do the basics nutrition and rehab so how do you motivate someone to get the nutrition and the rehab and everything like that done as well as their sport Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I, I would say that someone's not going to do something unless they're, they, they see the outcome of, of why they're doing it, right? So um, the one percenters, the, the, the daily kind of things that could, could help over time, um, you know, I, I like to ask an athlete if they're open to talking about it, and I would recommend a coach doing this too, like, hey, uh, you know, um, yeah, just kind of want to talk about some, you know, nutrition and, and some fueling stuff, like you open for it today? Um, and then if an athlete says, no, not really, got to respect it. If you ask, you got to respect the no. Um, but, but if you ask them, they have a moment to think, wait a second. Okay. So it's less um, kind of offensive that the, the coach is coming on to the athlete and then the athlete, and then the coach can really shine and they can say, um, and that, and then bring in the, the knowledge base that they know probably more than me. Cause I stay in the lane at mine's thoughts, emotions, behavior change. It's not so much nutrition and whatever, but be asking kind of for that permission and then why the, the coach wants to bring it up. So they say, Hey, I want to talk to you about nutrition. And he says, yeah, okay. Coach says, the reason I want to talk to you about this is because I'm noticing blank, whatever. Oh, okay. And then they can bring it in. All of a sudden you started a conversation that the athletes more, more open to hearing and not so much like, Hey, why aren't you drinking more water after, after lifts? And it's like, I don't know, because Maybe they weren't ready to hear it. Do you, it sounds, the more we talk, the whole entire thing we're all discussing, fear of failure, um, everything, it just all sort of tends to go like pinball off each other. So the values, you know, why are you doing this values, um, you know, fear of failure, it all just tends to link. Is that, is that, is that true? Or is it just me imagine it? Like psychology is all just linkable to every single aspect. Um, yeah, it, it is. I mean, to, that's the way I see it. And the, the way that like in my mind that I picture all this is that like there are like lots of different mental skills. There are lots of different psychological components. And sometimes certain ones are more important than others. Right. Like when we're talking about the golfer just before um, to be able to visualize and see the ball going in the hole for an eight foot putt or something that's not when they need to be reflecting on their values. That's not when they need to be thinking about whatever they need to be in that moment. So, but then when they get off the green, maybe it's a different feeling. So Del, I'm so glad you brought that up because it, it really is like an interconnected web. Yes, Just exactly. Not everything needs to be talked about all the time. Yeah. Cause obviously you like, you were talking about how'd you get motivated? Well, to me, like, um, how do I get motivated to go in the gym and like regularly do it is I just go back to the why, like, why am I doing this? Why do I really want to do it? Um, you know, cause at the end of the day, rather than spending three hours 
a week, sorry, three hours a day, five times a week training, I could easily just sit on my ass or get more, you know, work more hours. Um, you know, I just make that sort of time because of the why sort of thing. So I find the why and then sort of, you know, work off the why of why I'm doing it. With the motivation, um, do you still, because there's, there's a great journal come, come out about the motivation, is it you've got to be in the gym for 10 minutes to get motivated? It's not get into the gym. So, you know, the 10 minutes of working out. So you start warming up and then that is your motivation to then start gymming. And if you don't feel good with that 10 minutes, you can scrap it. It's not actually getting motivation to the gym. Did you heard cool. that one, Dom? I think, I don't know if I explained it right, but it was basically like you can get motivated while warming up for your okay. session or your, yeah. or your, like if you're not feeling motivated as you turn up to the pitch, you can get motivated during the warm up, basically. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I totally see that. And I see that in my own, in my own life right now. It's not yeah. a big deal now. Cause I'm a, you know, washed up D one hobby jogger now, but you know, the, but I, I like that, you know, and, and actually thinking back to my post collegiate, I was racing post collegiately for a little while. And um, I was really trying to dig into like how my body felt and, and you know, how did my mind feel today? Like trying to really, not force it, but have it come together. And I really did like that where I'd be like, hey, I'm not sure from a mental, emotional, or even from like a, a physical injury nagging standpoint, if today is going to be a workout day or not. But I'm going to go into this warm up thinking, let's find out what happens after 15, 20 minutes of my warm up. After that, you're right. A lot of times you're like, game on, let's go. That's good. Um, yeah, yeah. And, um, so you've got a few more questions on the Instagram. Um, so dealing with general general anxiety as an athlete, um, what's the best approach? I'm guessing to get to get around that and over that. Is it to, like we said before, find your values, get your lifestyle right, and if, stuff like that, and then the athlete stuff will help. Or it, it can. I mean, when I think about general anxiety, that that would indicate that they're feeling nervous or stressed in various different domains. So it could be sport, academics, friends, family any of those or more, um, you know, and that, that is when I think something like mental health therapy can be a really helpful thing. Um, because if it's general, that means it's like complex in the sense that it's not just, Hey, I'm really nervous before this, before this one final set on competition day or something. Um, and so I'm not trying to like dish that one out, but that would be my like initial indication. It's probably a little more clinical. Not that anything's really like a big deal with that, but that's what I'd recommend. But also knowing that I do that work and that's a lot of the work that I do. Um, yeah, it's a lot of the same kind of skills of yeah. thought management, emotional management, validating the emotions and finding a way to, to be more present. Yeah, and we're going, how do you, so we talked about a little bit about motivation. How do you approach the motivation in athletes in both sport and their life how do you do you get them motivated or they have to get motivated on themselves you know i go back and forth on this one yeah. um I, I like to tell people initially like i'm i'm not their motivation coach so like if you're not feeling it don't call me like i'm not going to yell into the phone and, and tell you what to do um and that's really like old school way of thinking about motivation anyway but um but i will say that sometimes People are overwhelmed with stress and anxiety and concerns and worry, expectations, whatever. Um, and they really, at the core of it, they're like, this speaks to my values. I have this goal. It aligns. I know this is what I want. It's just really hard for me to get out the door right now. Um, and for me, 
that is a time when I'm like, okay, let's work on your motivation. And oftentimes I like to say, simplify the process. Okay. So if it's um, like here, I'll, I'll, I'll put myself on the chopping block for this one. So, you know, whatever, cause Dell, I put you on there. So <laughs> I put myself on um, for me. Sometimes it's, it's hard to get out the door in the morning for a run. Um, I know the benefits. I'm going to feel better physically, emotionally. Um, I'm going to enjoy it once I'm out there, but at 4:45 in the morning, when my alarm goes off, like I'm not loving it. Like it's warm in my bed. It's not warm outside. Uh, this is easy. That's not like, I'm still a human. Like, you know, I'm still like, ah, I don't know, but can we simplify it? Can you lay out your shoes and your, your shorts and your shirt the night before, you know, can you have a glass of water next to your bed so that and for me, it's like, can you have a hoodie next to your bed? So, you know, you get out of bed, put the hoodie on, <laughs> you're still warm, go to the bathroom, find your shoes. And all of a sudden you're up and you're like, can't wait to run. So um, I, I do like to work on motivation with some, some folks. Um, but I'm also like, if a parent calls me and they're like, my son's not motivated to play bas- basketball this year. Can you work with them? I'm like, I'll work with them, but I'm not going to convince them to play basketball. And they're like, then why would I hire you? I'm like, why'd you call me? You know, so uh, it doesn't happen all the time. I'm not that brash but like if a, if a person that doesn't inherently want to do something i don't think it's our job to force them to do it no and what what's the, what's your top what's your top three tips for an athlete regards to all the things we talked about like what, what would you tell them their top three tips to go and do like yeah i know it's quite broad but you know a lot, what, there's a lot to like yeah but what would you really say you know top three tips would you go yeah. sort your home life out that's going to help with sport or your sleep. values, your sleep, like, yeah, yeah. Three. I would, I would say, um, if, if I really boil it down to three, um, yeah. I, w- I would say, understand what you value. Uh, truly. I would say do that. Um, I'd say get in touch with breathing and the breath in some way. So, is that, um, so quickly on that one, is that meditation? Are you, do you believe that meditation is a good one to go down the route for coaches and athletes? Uh, yeah, but everyone. Yeah, yeah, but it's advanced. And so like, I'm thinking about myself as an athlete when I was 14, 18, I would not I would have had the hardest eye roll in the entire room if you would have been like, all right, close your eyes, take a deep breath, you know, like, and I would have been like, no way, this is not me. Um, So what I say is like, get in touch with your breath, like, know that if you're really stressed, you can take a deep breath. That's not really meditative but we do know that that's going to trigger the parasympathetic, parasympathetic nervous system. It's going to drop your blood pressure, all sorts of things. Your mood's going to follow yada, yada, yada. The 15 year old me didn't need to know that, but he did need to know, Hey, breathe, have the exhale be longer than the inhale and do that when you're stressed, right? Like that itself is great. And then if we start to love it, then let's get into meditation. But I think that can be a hard sell up front. Um, yeah. So I'd say values, I'd say breathing. Uh, and really I'd say have find a way to have some fun with it. Um, fun is, uh, one of the biggest performance imp- uh, ways to improve performance and one of the best ways to, to maintain wellness and mental health. Um, and it's not holding hands, singing Kumbaya, loving everything, but it's like, can you have a little sense of like, oh man, like it's championship day. Like, I want to have a little fun. I don't want to make mistakes. I, I want to do my job, but this is going to be fun. And so if we can do those three things, yeah, good things are going to happen. Yeah, no, no. The, the last one massively, like if you look at um, 
kids like playing sport obviously like from a young age like you know most kids do like eight different sports like tennis swimming football rugby hockey everything like over here and then all of a sudden their mates i know they change sports they just don't enjoy it anymore so they start dropping out when they get older and like if you the fun aspect or not the socializing isn't there then probably the dropout in sport is a lot higher um and especially with covid obviously sport you're not having fun so because you can't have fun because of the pandemic so that aspect is completely gone so maybe they just don't want to do sport anymore they just don't get up they don't get off the sofa and go play you know go play in the garden or whatever so there's no fun or social aspects that's probably why it's such a decline during um covid i also think there was it on the high performance podcast with johnny wilkinson he spoke about where like he didn't enjoy winning the world cup he didn't enjoy like all of his professional career until he went and got psych help and went to Toulon and started enjoying rugby again. So he mm. like reverted back to like what Mike just said, like under 15 level when he enjoyed it and he played really well. Mm. It not saying he didn't play well, obviously all the way to the World Cup, he's an exceptional player, but he then, he said his mental health state was so much better that he had fun. He actually had fun when he played. I think yeah. that's, that's so important, isn't it? For sure. Absolutely. Nail on the head, guys. You're, you're right on it. <laughs> oh, thank you so much Mike um, that was a really good hour and a quarter an hour and a half however long we've been going on for and um, yeah we're so so happy to have you on and I hope all our listeners really enjoy that one and if you want to give Mike a follow it's Clark Performance on Instagram he will be tagged in all of our stuff we're going to put up and um, yeah, also if you want to get any support that's where you go to and just is it direct message or is it a link or however, how do you, how do you get people to talk to you? Is it for a link or is it direct message? Yeah, absolutely. No, I appreciate that. Uh, direct message is fine. Email works. I mean, uh, there's a lot of ways to find me online. So let's just get connected and start the conversation. Perfect. Thanks so much, Mike. Cheers, um, Mike. Thank you. Thanks, I hope guys. you enjoy it, guys. Yeah. Thank you very much, Mike. Thanks guys. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We hope you were able to take something from it and enjoyed it as much as us. It would be a great help if you could hit the download or subscribe button below and share the podcast to fellow coaches, friends or athletes.